Are you a good witch or a bad Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm a mystical convergence that requires you to get naked. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm the horny demon in your attic, Siren Rex Fry. And this is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Siren, I am so fucking excited because we are talking about Charmed again. Me too. Me too. I'm so excited. Yeah, you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> we are officially starting season two of Charmed. I'm sure you're sick of all that other bullshit we were doing. <laughs> we are kicking it off with season two, episode one, Witch Trial. Oh, God. Oh, so I have the gig of the title. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Witch Trial. It's like a play on the witch trials, but it's not a witch trial. It's a it's a trial that witches go through. The next episode is actually about a witch trial, but this one isn't. Any questions? <laughs> According to IMDb, this episode rated 7.9 out of 10 and is the one where the sisters face a demon named Abraxas who steals the Book of Shadows and undoes some of the spells they've cast in reverse order, releasing old vanquished enemies of the Charmed Ones. I love this episode. I think its title should actually be the title of the next one, if we're being honest. Yeah. I, what What's going on? You know? I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Charmed is not great at planning. Um, season well, two. So I, I find the title incomprehensible, and that is why I, I elected to give you all an incomprehensible review of it. <laughs> season two of Charmed is one of the best, in my opinion. Uh, and what a wonderful way to open the season. Uh, they really do address the all about prunus of the first season in this episode. And it just gradually gets a little better as the show progresses until season three. I love this episode because like just everyone is so good in it. Some of the like demonic effects are a little cheesy and lame, but you know what? It's charmed. You're still watching it. So get over it yeah um but like i mean the three main actresses are all fantastic in this one but shannon doherty blows me away in this episode every time it, it which is hilarious for an episode that's supposed to deal with the all about prunus of the show but the bitch shines in this one okay like she is good she's just a great actress she's a wonderful actress and it really shows through in this episode for it sure. does and truthfully truthfully I, because I'm binge watching the whole show right now. I think Prue in season two is like just peak everything for me. I think that Prue is my favorite character in season two, and I think season two is my favorite season. So maybe I just love Prue. I think maybe you do just love Prue. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> so in the opening shot, we get this either like stock footage or some janky CGI of the moon. And then we cut to the manor where Phoebe interrupts Piper about to fuck a guy for money by yelling out, hello, sister witches. And that is just how I enter every room. Is the moon full in the CGI? I think so. Is, so it's like, 
so it's a full moon and it's a Sabbath and it's an anniversary, blah, blah. It's a whole big thing. It's a convergence. It's, it's a, a convergence. convergence. I was just it about really to say, is. there are so many convergences. Do you know they do say, like, in a much later episode that, like, big signs come in threes. So, oh, whatever. I'll yeah. allow it. It's not wrong either. <laughs> either. Um, so, Piper freezes her date and Phoebe encourages Piper to be a slut before Prue comes in. And apparently, it's... Almost the autumnal equinox and their witchiversary. Um, this scene is the first use of the term magical witches as well, which gets right because um, she says that her witch friends aren't magical witches or something. Yeah, they're just normal, everyday, run of the mill, boring witches. Non magical witches. <laughs> they are yeah. what physical witches? I don't. Um... Uh, they are. Yeah. Uh, they're vanilla flavored witches. They uh, are. Sh- they are just shit witches. <laughs> <laughs> shit witches, just like me and Phoenix. Hmm. Well, something that I realized uh, in watching this episode is that my witch anniversary actually coincides with the charmed ones. I also started practicing on the autumnal equinox. Isn't so. that special? I feel really special, Siren. Let me have my thing. Okay. I'm actually, I'm really jealous hearing that because I don't know when my witchversary is. I have no idea. Well, the only reason that I know it is because I started practicing the autumn before my dad died. So. Mm. Do you know what Maybon is for me? What is that? It's the anniversary of my failed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Our lives are sad. Yeah. Your turn. So, you know, because I'm insane, the first thing I wanted to know was like, is their anniversary actually on the equinox? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went and looked. Um, the pilot episode aired on October 7th, which is just a few weeks away from the autumnal equinox. So I'm going to let them have it. Yeah, that's, that's close enough. Yeah. And this episode aired on September 30th, which is only a week away from the equinox. So I'm I'm going to let them have it. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe it. It's canon. That's I'm. It works for me. It works for me. Just because I mean, like, as long as you're celebrating the Sabbaths around that time, it's fine. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. Whatever. I feel the same way. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're not so... so we're not so dependent on, like, crops anymore so we don't have to like we don't actually have to know the exact time that the equinox is happening to like plant our corn you know yeah so so what what do you think it means about the that they that they're like maybon witches um do you think the day maybon has like a special meaning maybe for like them and who they are i know i don't know what does it mean because um, I don't, well, I, don't I was really... thinking, I was thinking about Maybon as a harvest festival and sort of a celebration of endings. Um, Maybon is a good day to like banish unwanted things from your life, to uh, deal with your inner demons and cast them out. So I mean, the charmed ones kill demons. That is true. So I usually when I when I'm 
celebrating the autumnal equinox. Normally I do it. Um, I follow the logic of the harvest festival, but I do it more for things that I'm grateful for. Um, I have a whole thing that I do every year where I like make a spiced apple cider and do a ritual with um, the people that I'm close to where we drink in gratitude. Um, so we like say things that we're grateful for and then we'll drink of this cider to celebrate the day. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a complicated relationship with the day now that it's because like we literally got married <laughs> on Maybon because it was Maybon. Um, so that sucks. But I also have memories of like a long, long time ago. Um, my sister and I had a vegetable garden in her backyard and we would grow vegetables and we would pick some and make food from them on Maybon. And that was like such a cool fucking ritual. That is really cool. I love that. Yeah. We went on a little bit of a tangent here, but they don't actually talk about what the autumnal equinox means in the episode. So I wanted to, you know? Yeah, that's our thing. Um, but aside from that, it's also their witch anniversary, as you called it. Did you get that word from somewhere? No, I just made you it just up. Always heard it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. Um, I was thinking about anniversaries in general and what that means astrologically. Of course. So you an were. anniversary. I know. Of course I was. An anniversary or a birthday is the day of a solar return. It means the sun is in the same place that it was those years ago when the same thing happened. So normally we're looking at like, what's the astrological meaning of our birthday? But if we're going to apply it to something else, like an anniversary, I was thinking, how can we take that astrological meaning and suss something else? Out of it. Right? Okay. So if you apply it to a birthday, the theory is that when the sun is in the same degree it was when something or someone was born, then that person is more powerful, more complete on that day. So if we're applying it to their anniversary of becoming witches, that means that like, yeah, this is like a very powerful day of witchcraft for them. So I totally buy into the mythology. I do too. what's going on here. I do too. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it also has a little bit of narrative meaning that I'm going to explore a little bit. Um, I got on this train because one of the articles I was reading about solar returns said that they mark sometimes a new stage in the hero's journey. I'm not going to fully explore what that means for you guys, but the hero's journey is a narrative theory by Joseph Campbell. um, And I guess referenced in like storytelling and story analysis all the time. Um, So I just think this episode has a lot of elements of the hero's journey as described by Joseph Campbell. And I think that was very interesting since it coincided with the solar return. I like it. Um, But I can name several of them. You know, um, Prue refuses the call to adventure. Grams appears as their wise old mystic mentor. There are several characters like Stevie and Daryl who act as threshold guardians. The sisters must venture into the abyss. And the Book of Shadows is the treasure that is returned at the end of the story. This is all very hero's journey. So I love that they made it coincide with the solar return and an equinox and a full moon. It's pretty fucking witchy. Yeah, that is really witchy. I love that. And I mean, the equinoxes and the solstices and all of the Sabbaths really are days of power for witches. So like just incorporating that into the show's mythology for the Charmed Ones in this episode, I really like a lot. It makes it feel a little bit more... This feels like an attempt to keep the show rooted in like real witchcraft. 
which I appreciate. Starting off strong. Yeah. Starting off strong in the real witchcraft in season two. So the next day, Phoebe goes up to the attic, like, first thing in the morning for some reason. She doesn't have a cup of coffee. She doesn't have anything with her. She was just going up to start her day by drawing some swords. Um, Well, she just, like, shows up like she knows something's going to be wrong. Maybe she had a vision. Maybe she had a vision. And she sees the book doing that flippy pages thing to the right of passage. And it says, fight with the power of one or else. And just as they read this entry, Abraxas opens up a portal and steals the book. And I can't really decide if Abraxas looks cool or kind of stupid. I think the I... answer to that is yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of both. He looks it's both cool both. and a little stupid. He's like, yeah. he looks like scary and intimidating, but he's also a little like spirit of Halloween-y, you know? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I feel like if I saw Abraxas, he'd creep me out at first until I, like, got too close or, like, you know, started paying attention to the way he was acting. And he's yeah. such a loser. And really. then you just you just want to have sex with him after that. Yeah. No. He, no. <laughs> Abraxas is not scary or sexy to me. Um, there's a goof in this scene. Um, when the sisters go over to the book, you can see one of the crew members' feet crawling out of the frame behind Piper. Oh my god, I've watched this so many times and not seen that. It's like in the bottom left corner of the screen, right before the portal opens and Abraxas like pulls the book away. <laughs> you can see like just a couple little feet shuffling about. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so funny. I'm gonna have to watch it again. I'm gonna have to watch this 51 times now. <laughs> and then after that, we have the opening credits. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to care about the song at the beginning. Uh, it's called Lady Fingers. It's performed by Luscious Jackson, and it is so not up there with my favorite Charmed songs. So Lady Fingers? <laughs> yeah, you that's know? what the song is called. I don't want to know what that means. Unless we are talking about tiramisu, I am uninterested. <laughs> um, So Phoebe says some wildly stupid shit in this conversation that they're about to have. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, she's all over the place wrong. Um, I, the book, I don't like how the book, the book sucks, basically. is <laughs> The book sucks. The book gave them a riddle that just kind of overcomplicates how they deal with the events of this episode. This fight it with the power of one thing, and they have to parse out what that actually means by the end, and it's so dumb. But they read <laughs> the power of one in the book, and Phoebe and Piper just decide that that means Prue, and that Prue has to do it all by herself. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is how they're used to doing things. <laughs> that's that's very true. Yeah, um, but then Phoebe says this other shit. She's like, without the Book of Shadows, we're not the charmed ones anymore. Why? 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 I mean, it's like a big deal. Like, every time the Book of Shadows gets stolen, they almost die or occasionally do die. So, like, it's a big deal, you know, for sure. An ordeal, even. Um, But, like, I don't know why they're not the Charmed Ones anymore because they just walk around casting spells like it's super easy for the rest of the episode. Also, the implications of, like, having to have a big, beautiful Book of Shadows to be a witch is not something that I love. You know, but yeah, agreed. I mean, my book of shadows is valuable to me, but you certainly don't need one. Like some people don't like the reading and writing aspect of it at all. And that's okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. Or like you can use a spiral notebook or a computer or whatever you want if you want to keep track of your spells, but you don't have to do that. You know, I have a I have a book that I find very valuable and lovely, but you don't have to do that. 
Um, Listen, when you're like figuring the whole Book of Shadows thing out, a three ring binder with sheet protectors is the way to go. All right. I operated that way for years. Absolutely. However, if a demon had stolen my binder of shadows, I would have been super fucking upset. Yeah. (laughs) So after the credits and some discussion about what the fuck happened, the doorbell rings and Phoebe goes to answer it in a nightgown. Phoebe. Put on some pants before you answer the door. It could be anybody. Why wouldn't she want to be, like, in underwear when the hot new neighbor shows up? You know? I mean, fair, I guess. That's probably uh, how you would play it. Ugh. But now we have to deal with Jenny. Jenny. Fucking Jenny. So this little girl comes in and she's like, can I use your phone, please? My mom's in Saudi Arabia. And then this hot guy, hot neighbor Dan, walks in. Mm. Mm. Neighbor Dan. Uh! (laughs) Oh, honey. Uh. Neighbor Dan Uh. is like the man candy of the series. Oh, my God, neighbor Dan. He is... He is the hottest guy that they have on this show. Absolutely, he sure. is. And he's... Mm. Ugh, Siren, we're going to have to pause the recording. i got to go change my pants. <laughs> <laughs> the way they dress him, he's he's not dressed like this in this episode, but he's so often just in like these like tight like white and gray tank tops, and he looks... Fine! So good. He looks fine! So good. And I have I have a lot of thoughts about neighbor Dan. Now's not the time or place, but he's very important to me. Okay. He would just be so much better without Jenny around, which the writers of the show figure out very quickly. Yeah, uh, thankfully they figured out by like episode six. She was like, eh, not working out. Yeah. I would be such a Meredith Blake about Jenny. I'd be like, I'm gonna ship that brat off to Switzerland and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. <laughs> Girl, bye. Bye. Ugh. Neighbor Jen, the the thing, okay, she's played by Karis Page Bryant, who I don't know if she ever did anything else after this. I hope not. They put her in the, they put her in the opening credits. Like, they were so sure that she was going to be a season two staple. Oof. I know I said the season was good, but this is a dark spot. (laughs) There are some dark days ahead in our season two recap, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't want to, like, belittle or attack Karis, who probably didn't have a great experience as a child actress who got, like, fired from her first big gig for being unlikable. Um, I don't really feel like you need me to tear you down at this point. But it's going to be, it's just impossible to talk about the show without mentioning it. So I guess what I'm saying is, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Karis. Her name is Karis. Her life started out hard enough. What does that even mean? I don't want to know, actually. No. Yeah, so after this rude interruption from this annoying little girl, they discuss how this is the first demon that they have fought since Andy died, which is huge. That's a big actually. deal. It's a big deal. And it was only it was only a month ago. They say that too. Not fought a demon in a month, and the last one they fought was the one that killed Andy. So, like... That's really yeah, intense. This is, this is a big deal. Yeah. This is a rite of passage, for sure. This is all of the things that it's setting us up to think that it is. I think this episode's really well put together. It really is. It but, has a great flow. And yeah. this is such a, a pivotal moment for for all of our characters, but for Prue especially. Um, 
But even though a demon has the Book of Shadows and they're probably all about to die, Prue has to go to work because she's a Capricorn. (laughs) (laughs) She's literally not a Capricorn, though. But she is. Like, I'm sorry. You know my feelings on this. Like, she's a Scorpio, but she's a Capricorn. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So, cut to the swimming pool dimension. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) Abraxas. So, I was taking a drink of my beer when you said that. <laughs> Abraxas is reading the book backwards, which is unclear to us in the moment, but we soon realize that he is indeed undoing spells. And I just like, I want to know where the choice was to put him in this like echoey, like fluorescent blue room that looks like a hotel swimming pool. Like, I just, I don't understand. I guess this was the best the budget could do with the astral plane. They were like, listen, we had a swirly golden triquetra in this episode. You're going to have to make do with a blue room. Um, yeah, they, so they definitely have not updated their Adobe after effects yet. Like it's still, no, I mean, it's definitely just like camera filters too. Like, I'm sure he was just on like an empty set or something that they like had a smoke machine on (laughs) a smoke machine and like wavy blue lights. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like some sort of like white noise machine in the background. So meanwhile, Phoebe and Piper go to meet this super white witch named Stevie. Uh, and things she's get... a non-magical witch, by the way. She's a shit Stevie. witch. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Stupid ass useless witch. <laughs> and things get very Fleetwood Mac very quickly. Um, everyone gets naked and Piper is very uncomfortable with this. And I feel like it's just important to say, and I know that like, Everybody listening to this probably already knows this, but if you're in like a magical setting and you're uncomfortable with being sky clad or maybe like if sex magic is happening, you don't have to partake in anything you're uncomfortable with. Like Piper could have kept her clothes on if she wanted to and it would have been fine. Yeah. And I don't think I mean, well, I've never actually been to a sky clad ritual so I guess I don't know. But I I really don't think that these people are going to, like, shame you if you don't get naked. That yeah. seems a little weird to me. Um, I've never once in my life, for even the tiniest of seconds, been confident enough to do anything like this. Um, like most gays, I require soft light, and I will not be nude in broad daylight. Um uh, I, I don't know what case you're referring to, because on Twitter, it seems like that's all they do. Uh, yeah, but in soft light. <laughs> yeah. They only look like that because of gay lighting. Gay lighting. Do you know and, what bothers me about this? Your point, your point about not doing anything you're uncomfortable with is like more important. But do you know what bothers me is that Piper, le- the only thing that Piper leaves on is her shoes. And in my opinion, that's the only thing she needs to take off. Yeah. Like, you need to be like what? touching the earth. Yeah. I mean, there's like a whole concept in all these magical books about just going outside barefoot to connect with the earth. You don't have to take all your clothes off. Yeah. No, just go. And... Or you could just like touch the grass with your hands. But she's like, can I at least keep my shoes on? So I'm standing here naked, but still not connected to the earth. Yeah. You don't have to like. <laughs> Who's the author of that book where she says to put your pussy on the ground? Yeah, you don't have to, like, Lisa Lister it out with your, like, vag to the dirt. Yeah, no, you just gotta, like, be barefoot and it's fine. 
Uh, however, yeah, Piper, though, is like kind of disrespectful about the Equinox celebrations in general. And I find it kind of upsetting. I I don't love that like our protagonist witch heroes are making kind of a mockery of what real witches do. It it feels okay, it is a little bit that way. In the context, it is exactly that way. I just watch it and I think this is just classic Piper. Piper's biggest anxiety is the next possible thing to happen. She's in a situation she didn't know she was gonna have to be in, so she's panicking and attacking everyone. Oh, but the point is that they hear Grams. Yeah, so they they hear Grams at this ritual, and that's what kind of, like, sets the story in motion. Grams is, like, in the background through the whole story. <laughs> Being like, kinda. she's like, it's not all about Prue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, Phoebe gets naked in the woods, and then Graham shows up, and she's like, you don't need your sister, <laughs> You're just as good as that stuck-up bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, so then, Prue's at work, and this random widow just trauma dumps on her about her dead husband, <laughs> and Prue is hashtag triggered. Very much so. Very much so. She she has a moment. She's had she has a moment with this lady being like, my husband died and I could have done something about it. Bruce's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Same, though. I just keep thinking if I had told him not to get in a car, then he wouldn't have been in a car accident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Uh, No, it's awful. Um, Her name is Mrs. Milton. This oh, person. I actually think that she's there are like all these side characters that are just kind of helping the sisters go through their emotional journey. And I think that she's one of them. Yeah, she's, very much. She's so. just there for herself, but she triggers Prue. And I think it's kind of it triggers an important emotional journey for Prue. Yeah. And look, on like the... being triggered sucks. But in this case, it helped her move through something she needed to. Well, sometimes you have to be like reminded of something to really especially if it's something that you've been repressing. Sometimes you need that moment mm-hmm. to like kind of shock you out of it. And I think that's what this does for Prue. Yeah. Yeah. And on the bright side for Mrs. Milton, now she can get remarried and get rid of that like horrible last name. Yeah. With all her brand new money from selling off her dead husband's shit. Yes. That's a widow's dream. Mrs. Okay. Mrs. Milton has it figured out. I don't know what she's so fucking sad about. So after this, she can go off and buy a new husband. (laughs) So, yes, she can go buy a new husband. But Piper is struggling to buy her club. So we cut to what will soon be P3. And Piper's like, sorry, I'm late. And about all the cum. This used to be a sex dungeon. Um, And then her boyfriend (laughs) is like, sorry that you didn't have sex with me the other night when I wanted to. And I don't know about this bank loan. She's like, well, I think there's still a sling in the back. Maybe we can work something out. They totally could. I was just thinking about the beginning scene, though. Like, they're, like, going at it hot and heavy, and then her sisters come home, so she just, like, kicks him out. Like, I would just be like, let's go upstairs. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's getting a little crowded down here. Why don't you come upstairs and... Why don't you come up to my bedroom and crack open this crab? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
So, but unfortunately, they don't get a chance to try out the sex swing because in the swimming pool dimension, Abraxas has unvanquished Jeremy and sends him on to Piper. It, this episode is very Rita Repulsa. It's like, I am the main <laughs> yeah. villain, but go and fight my adversaries for me, and then I'll be upset when it he doesn't work. Is, Abraxas is so Rita Repulsa realness. Yes. Oh my God. He even has like the big hair. Yeah. So similar. <laughs> I think he's kind of copying her totally um, this is. jeremy this jeremy is eric scott woods by the way who did play jeremy in the pilot oh good i'm so, glad that they brought the same yeah, actor back they did so that poor thing i don't think his career was really going through much during that year <laughs> apparently not no apparently uh, not so this episode is just full of dead boyfriend drama truly um so anyway, Jeremy goes to attack. There's always dead boyfriend drama. Oh my god! Oh, when is there not? Always dead boyfriend drama. So Piper uses her freezing power on Jeremy, but he keeps fighting through it. So she decides to conference call her sisters, which is kind of cool that their powers work over the phone. I think it's a very '90s way to show that like long distance or virtual covens are just as potent. You know, I think so too. I really enjoy that their powers work over the phone. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So this the the closest thing in my life that resonates with this. Um, have you ever had a chat room ritual? Have you ever been in one? No, I've not been in a chat room ritual, but I have done virtual rituals like over FaceTime with my best friend. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that's that's the new iteration of it now for sure. Is just Zoom rituals. Like all kinds of people are doing that. You can do that with anybody. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was younger, and MSN chat was my life. I was involved in some chat room rituals that were. Pretty fucking cool, considering it was the closest thing I could have to a coven at that point in my life. I think witchcraft can travel through phone lines. Absolutely it can. 5G or whatever is happening. (laughs) 5G causes cancer! And witchcraft! 5G is responsible for witchcraft. That's the new conservative theory. Um, Witches are using 5G to spread cancer and homosexuality to Ohio. (laughs) Through... windmills (laughs) that's very that meme have you seen that meme of it's like the two little kids that are scared of a rabbit and it's like conservatives versus things that aren't happening (laughs) i just want to point out that there is absolutely no fucking way that rob the banker is that hurt from one bonk on the head he's a one bump chump (laughs) That bitch is in a fucking neck brace, and all Jeremy did was crack him on the back of the head. Like, that's it. Fucking he didn't go flying into a bunch of chairs or something. No, he just fell down. Into a wall. Oh, well. Useless. You know, white men with corporate jobs are so fragile. So back at the manor, Phoebe is plunking away with one goddamn finger on her laptop. Did you see her? I mean, you watched this episode, you had to see, just one at a time, just plunking away. It's like a five-year-old that just learned how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the piano. It's ridiculous. I'm going to be honest with you, my nails are really long right now, and so that's also kind of the way I was typing out my notes. (laughs) Oh my god, I hate you. Uh, (laughs) So, she's on her laptop, plunking away, and she's surrounded by books on the ground, like... Wicca Garden by Jarena Dunwich or Goddess Spirituality Book by Fiona Morgan. And there's also The History of Witchcraft and Demonology by Montague Summers, who was apparently 
a real fucking asshole who hated witches and praised the killings done by the Catholic Church. Amazing. These are all real books. I looked them up because I was like, I was curious and I looked them up and they're all real. But I the felt. The first two sound like fluffy bunny as fuck. Oh my God, am, they am really are. So I looked into, I, I looked at <laughs> the Wicca Garden by Jarena and I, I read a few passages from the beginning because I, I love herbs. I do a lot of herbal magic. So I was like, maybe I would enjoy it. Maybe I'll take a look at it. But it's so like, never do a curse. If you curse somebody, <laughs> you'll die. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very love and light. But what I really want to talk about from this scene is that I fell down a fucking Monty Summers rabbit hole. He was apparently this like wannabe Catholic priest that published the first ever English translation of the Malus Maleficarum. So already stand up guy. Yeah, super great dude. That's our that's our favorite book. <laughs> Love him. For sure. Um he wrote several books on occultism, obviously from a rather negative perspective. And he professed to believe in vampires and werewolves. I bet he would have loved the vampire diaries. That shit's got everything he Phoenix. wanted. Phoenix, nobody loves the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did eventually, though, become like a MAGA conspiracy theorist and lost most of Of course of... he did. <laughs> he lost most. Wait, so he's alive? He's alive? No, he's alive. He's, he's dead. He's, he's a very, very old man. <laughs> but he was around long enough to be a MAGA guy? No, I was just drawing a comparison between all conspiracy oh, theorists. okay, because whenever we don't like someone, they're a Republican. Okay. Whenever we don't like someone, they're a Republican. So he eventually yeah. became a conspiracy theorist and lost most of his credentials. But it's an odd choice of author for a pro-witchcraft show. Don't you think? It is. They probably just saw that history of witchcraft and demonology. Oh my god, I wish... I wish I could remember this book that I had. I want to tell you a story about a demonology book. I also just want to say that this stuff on Montague Summers is the most research I have ever done for one of our podcast episodes. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited about it. That's why I was letting you take the... Okay. I can't remember exactly what this book was called. I'm pretty sure it was just called like the Encyclopedia of Demons or Demonology or something. But I bought this book at a Walden Books. Get this. Uh, back when that was a thing. At a Walden Books at the mall. And it was like, it had like a picture of a demon in this like flamey red background. And it really did look like kind of an evil book. But this book was a mythology book. And it did tell you how to fight or defeat all of these demons that were in it. And I found this book when I was really into Charmed. And I was like, cool. So, <laughs> so I bought it and I brought it home. And I read the entire book and I took notes. Um, I know how to kill a lot of demons, by the way. <laughs> so don't fuck with me, queen. Um, but what ended up happening is, at one point, my mother found my stash of witchcraft books, and she found that book in particular. And oh. she got very upset by this. Um, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna tell the whole story there, but she, she did know that I had these books. So later, this is where it gets good. We're at, like, a family get-together. I swear it was, like, Thanksgiving or something. And my family is huge, so we always, like, rented out this event space in the library to have our family get-togethers at. So we're, like, there. And my whole family is there. There's, like, 60 to 70 people. And my mom starts telling some of my aunts that I got really interested into demons because of a witch TV show, and I was headed down the path of Satan because of it. Uh. I overheard her. 
I overheard her saying this to some of my aunts. Oh and my god. Yeah, because of that book that I bought so I could learn how to kill demons because I wanted to be a charmed one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That is very you. Yeah. No, so I had to get really mouthy and I had to like put myself in the conversation and tell my aunts that my mom was straight up lying about me. And she was like, I saw your book, dead name. Like, I know, mom, you see my books, but you never read any of them. So you don't know what the fuck they say. So yeah, that's my demon encyclopedia story. (laughs) (laughs) So the next scene is Jenny and the tampons. And I just don't care. I don't care about the scene. Which is exactly why it has to be our dramatic reenactment. Ugh. Drama. Talent. Suffering. This is a dramatic reenactment, and we are sorry. Hey, little girl. Why do you have my fucking cat? Oh, Phoebe. Oh, Phoebe, please, Phoebe, help me. I'm a young girl on my period, and my hair part is a train wreck. Oh, sweetie. I feel like I should be nice to you, because I want to fuck your uncle. But I gotta believe I'm gonna find a way to fuck him anyway. Oh, Phoebe, Phoebe, please. I have sanitary napkins crammed in my underwear and wild abandonment issues. Oh, Phoebe, please. Look on the bright side, honey. In just a few episodes, the writers are going to figure out that you're boring and your uncle and this show are better off without you. Thank God that's over. Um, honestly, even though I know you don't care about that scene... That was actually pretty taboo-breaking for the time, talking about menstruation on primetime network television. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even Phoebe was like, tampons. I feel like at one point, tampons was one of those words you couldn't even fucking say. And so they were I honestly think they were probably just like, let's talk about tampons (laughs) because we can. Listen, as much as America hates women, I'm surprised tampons were ever invented in the first place. Tampons actually are a part of that crusade of hating women, and that's why they cost so fucking much. So Phoebe... She, it's all very, just like every single thing is about like other characters helping them figure shit out. So somehow talking to Jenny about her period gets Phoebe to look at her cat's collar and then realize that she should use the spirit board and call it the Book of Shadows so that Piper gets confused. (laughs) What happens there? But so they use the spirit board and Grams, you know, she shows up again. They hear her voice. And I think that Grams tells them the demon's name is Abraxas. Oh, That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because Grams is playing the role of the wise old mystic mentor. But Phoenix, you did a lot of research about Abraxas that I didn't do. And I am so excited for that. Wrong. Welcome to You Must Be Myth Taken, the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. So I was curious about the name Abraxas because I thought it sounded familiar. So I did a little research. Um, The book that Phoebe reads describes Abraxas as a demon of the astral plane who destroys witches by demonizing their powers. Eh. Like, is that in any way correct? Uh... 
No, not really. No. Okay, <laughs> cool. I mean, that's kind of what I was expecting. But... So <laughs> representing Abraxas as a demon isn't technically incorrect. Um, he is classified as such in the 1863 publication of Colin de Plancy's Dictionary Infernal, uh, as well as M. Bellinger's Dictionary of Demons, which is a more recent compilation of a bunch of demonology stuff. Um, it's actually on my shelf and where I started my research. So it's speculated that Abraxas is rooted in the word or phrase abracadabra, which oh. although now, yeah, which although now it's associated with like sleight of hand and stage magic used to be a common and powerful mystical incantation. Well, and it means, um, it means something. Abracadabra means in Hebrew, I will create as I speak. Which Abraxas does. As he, he reads the book, he creates things. So Yeah, or undoes spells that then creates things. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense. Abraxas also makes up a set of Greek letters. And I'm going to be honest, I don't understand this part too, too much. But he makes up a set of Greek... Uh, the name also makes up a set of Greek letters that were sometimes scribed onto talismans or charms to imbue them with magical qualities. Hence the abracadabra thing. Yeah, which also makes sense to me because even now, and there are like some modern traditions that write or inscribe the word abracadabra on talismans for various reasons. Yeah, so within Gnosticism, he's viewed as a deity, actually. And Gnosticism is like a collection of religious ideas and systems that values personal gnosis over more orthodox teachings. Um Gnostics personified Abraxas, relating him to the sun, and a cult was formed surrounding his worship. An early 2nd century Gnostic teacher viewed Abraxas as, like, the supreme deity and the source of divine emanations. Um, and the ruler of all 365 heavens or circles of creation, one for each day of the year. The number 365 corresponds to the numerical values of the seven Greek letters that form the word Abraxas. I don't understand what you just said, but I really wish that I did because this sounds cool. It does sound really cool. To be honest, I am just relaying information that I found. I don't understand all the nuances of this either. Uh, Gnosticism is like super, super old. And a lot of it doesn't make sense to my modern like white brain. Um, this is just a moment at which I wish I understand. I understood numerology better. Yeah, if any of you guys have anything to add about anything I've said so far, please feel free to send us an email at whichbereview at gmail.com because I definitely don't understand all the ins and outs of what we're talking about right now. This is just some stuff that I found that I found interesting. Um, so yeah, if you have anything to add, feel free to write in. Yeah, write in so, and tell us all about your boyfriend, Abraxas. So <clears throat> that same group of second century Gnostics claimed Abraxas as the supreme god and even claimed that Jesus was merely an aspect of him. Jesus literal Christ. <laughs> right? Blasphemy. Abraxas in his personified form is depicted as having the body of a man, the head of a rooster, and serpent-like legs. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, he's nasty looking. Ooh. Uh, in some I, I want to look up a picture. <laughs> <laughs> if I type Abraxas, am I just gonna get the charmed guy? Oh my god! Oh my god! This is a picture. Oh my god! Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> Doesn't he look creepy? He it it well it's I I don't want to say fucked up. It's actually sort of it's different. It's definitely different. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. If is... you look up Abraxas, you will see these pictures. There's one of him like 
He looks like the chariot tarot card in this one. Yeah, so what's really cool is in some depictions, he is armored and riding a chariot pulled by four horses that represent the elements. Oh. So the name Abraxas can be traced to a few different places, including Egypt, Greece, and Persia. It's a little unclear from my research where it originated in Gnosticism. Um, it's, it's so old that it would be hard for me in my modern research methods of Googling shit to find. Um, I feel it's important to note that oftentimes deities from religions that predate Christianity or that exist from traditions that Christianity couldn't appropriate were automatically classified as demons by the church. Oh, that's 100% correct. Is the easiest way they could justify persecuting people who worshipped what they labeled demons. Yep. So, so I guess you could say that Abraxas is a demon is both accurate and inaccurate. But also, the word demon doesn't always mean the same thing throughout cultures and languages. Exactly, exactly. Um, I won't go as far as to say that the depiction of Abraxas as a devilish creature is irresponsible, uh, because dressing him up like a rooster would be a little Power Rangers of them. <laughs> Man, I don't even want to think what this show in 1999 would have done with a rooster head. I can't, That will keep me up at night. No. <laughs> So no. <laughs> I would just call it inaccurate and call it a day. But at the same time, though, I had to try very hard to find all this information. So it makes me question what the motivations were in using this name in the first place. Maybe they got it all from old Monty Summers. I mean, I think if we talk about the things we've already discussed throughout season one, we talked about Kali, we talked about Hecate, like they just will slap whatever name they want on fucking anything. It's fairly true. You know, so it's probably just that again. So Piper and Phoebe figure out that Abraxas is turning their powers evil and undoing their spells by reading the book backward. Once they're attacked by the Woogie Man. The thing that pisses me off the most about the scene with the Woogie Man is that Phoebe doesn't remember the whole spell, which is bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, that's just like a total annihilation of a plot point from the other episode and for no reason of course phoebe remembered the spell she's known it her whole fucking life yeah it's like i guess she like conquered her fears so she didn't need to remember it anymore no i think i just think that was a really dumb choice to get piper more involved but phoebe forgetting unforgivable (laughs) i don't accept that but okay so let's i want to delve into like the reading spells backward thing for a second I'm not sure, I'm not sure the order of all this makes complete sense because, well, as far as we know, the power of three will set us free isn't even in the Book of Shadows. It's from the back of the spirit board, but maybe I guess someone made it the last page of the Book of Shadows for some reason. And then they say the Woogie Man spell was right before it, even though we watched them write the Woogie Man spell in the middle of the book in that same episode. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, there's a little bit of all of that going on. And then of course the Nicholas must die spell is the third page from the back of the book, even though Graham's wrote it 30 years ago. Well, so, haven't you ever just opened your book up to a random page and wrote something in it? Cause I do that. Absolutely all the time. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> my, my book of shadows has organizer tabs. So absolutely not. But okay. So all of that, like bullshit aside, 
what do you think about writing or saying spells backward as a means of undoing them? Um, to me, it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know if that is only because of this show. Well, it, it is present in this show and also in the, the Disney Channel original movie, Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. Oh my uh, God, really? Yeah. To undo spells in that, you have to say them backwards. Uh, so oh, that's incredible. It's the same thing. That was in 2001, so it might have been influenced by Charmed, actually. Um, it makes sense to me, but it sounds hard. <laughs> Talking backwards is hard, so. Yeah. So I tried to do some research on this concept, and it sort of took me all over the place, and I want to relay what I found, because it all kind of makes sense in my head, but I don't know if I can make it make sense as, like, a theory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? Um, so I think the reason that saying a spell backwards to undo it makes sense to me is because it's similar to the concept of, like, Wittershins or tarot reversals or inverted symbols. Um, when you think about like, okay, going deosil or clockwise is supposed to be for conjuring. And sometimes it's even like called the correct way. Um, did you know that Wittershins, which means counterclockwise, it literally means wrong way etymologically. No, I did not know that because I don't yes. use those words. Right. Um, so I just learned this today. Um, but anyway, Wittershins or going counterclockwise or get this backward is the motion associated with undoing and banishing and getting rid of things. So that kind of connects to reading a spell backward for me. And then I mentioned tarot reversals. If you're doing a tarot reading and a card is upside down or reversed or inverted, then um, some people will just read it as having like a weaker influence on the spread. And some people will read it as having the opposite meaning. That's how I read them. Of yeah, that's how I do it, too. I always give it the opposite meaning because it's upside down. But again, it's talking about, like, things having a complete opposite meaning or effect when they're backward. So I feel like oh. it still connects. And then my third example is symbols. And I can give you two examples that I think will really nail this home for you. Think about a pentacle and a cross and then think about them turned upside down. You, most people are going to have totally different meanings associated with those, right? So that is why I think um, it makes sense to me. No, I agree. I think it makes perfect sense. Um, I wouldn't do it because it sounds hard, but I think it makes sense. <laughs> I guess I haven't decided whether or not it's something I would like to incorporate, but maybe. You know, knowledge is cool. If you try to research, like, things going backwards, you're going to find so much random shit. Like, there's, like, conspiracy theories about Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon being played backwards, and somehow it lines up with The Wizard of Oz <sighs> or something. Um, yeah, and um, all sorts of random shit like that. Oh, apparently if you read a religious text, like the Bible backward, it's, like, super blasphemous, and you'll, like, place a curse on yourself or your whole family. Um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is totally random, but this is a, another thing in pop culture that I thought was cool. Um, do you know the hero Zatanna in DC Comics? I, yes, I do. So Zatanna doesn't always do this, but apparently sometimes if she speaks words backward, then she will create a magical effect of the words that she said. Oh, so cool. For, for Zatanna, saying things backwards doesn't undo them. It makes them happen. Hmm. 
And this is another thing I'd love to hear from the listeners on. If you know any more, like, witchcraft practices about, like, words backwards and stuff, like, I want to hear about that for sure. Yes. Send us an email, please, please, please. Yes. We are actually going to revisit the concept of reversing words and spells to have the opposite effect at the end of this season, but it is going to work in a different way. But just remember, we got more coming up. They attempt to warn Prue at work, but she blows them off, only to be attacked by the warlock Nicholas, who almost kills her. Can I bitch about Prue for a second? Yes. She's at work, and she knows the Book of Shadows just got stolen, and Phoebe is calling her and saying it's an emergency, and Prue is like, she always says that. Tell her I'll call her back. Um, context, Prue. You got attacked by a demon this morning. It's probably something. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Prue's being dumb in this episode, Uh, but thank God she was able to work this herb-based spell without any actual plants present, and it works somehow. What the fuck is that? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how it works. I don't know how this spell works, and I don't know why Prue's not dead, because she doesn't have any of those ingredients with her. No. It's like, if but I... She, lavender, mimosa, holy thistle. Apparently, if I just say the words out loud, it's like I have the herbs. I can call upon their essence just by naming them. Hmm. Well, when you say it like that, it makes a little bit more sense. It does, actually. I, I that's, not the, that's not what I meant to happen. <laughs> you know, we were making fun of it, and we're like, wait a second, would it actually work? Like, I know, and now I'm thinking, like, Okay, so what if, like, what if you're, like, a poor witch or a witch in a small town who, like, doesn't have an occult shop and, like, you really wish you could play around with these herbs, but you don't have a way to get them. Can you just, like, tap into their essence by talking about them? Well, shit, Siren. I wasn't expecting to have such a philosophical conversation about this, but... I know, but now I'm very intrigued. Me too. This... Mm. This might need to be revisited at some point because... Perhaps. I know. I don't know if this ever happens again, though, but I always remember this example of the time that Prue calls upon herbs that she doesn't even have with her, which I guess is just as just another s- sign of how powerful Prue is. I'm sure Phoebe and Piper would actually need the herbs, but Prue can just think about it. I guess, I guess yeah, because if you can call on the energy of, like, the element of fire... Right, just for, but that's a little different because, like, when we're talking about magic with the natural elements, they're all around you. But calling forth the the spirit of a specific plant without a conduit for that spirit, I don't know if it would work. I don't know. Aren't like are all living things like kind of made of carbon? Aren't there elements of plants that exist in my body, just like earth, air, fire, and water? I'm just being difficult now. You are being difficult now, again. Write into us if you have thoughts about this conversation, because I would really love to hear what you guys. This have is to very say. low stakes for me because our herb cupboard has like literally everything. Honestly, same. I have so many plants at home. It's like I have so many herbs. Um, yeah. So Prue almost dies. So like the Woogeyman shows up and attacks two of them, and then Nicholas shows up and attacks the other one. And so, like, there's this, like, fast pace, like, demons coming back, coming at him kind of thing going on. But then after Nicholas, it's like, eh, we'll give him a break. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's just like, just like Power Rangers. It's like, oh, they defeated those two. I need time to make another one. Yeah. 
So at the hospital, Prue is being stupid about being a witch. And this is the start of them being like, me, 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 being a witch sucks. I don't want to talk about Wicca anymore. And I just hate it. I hate it. We do hate it. But so I think that it doesn't bother me this time because one, because Shannon, Um, but just because I think I, I understand it better this time like when the rest of them want to quit at various points it's just sort of like for like dumb reasons but Prue is like she's not grieving she's holding in these emotions and she's like wanting to give up in these conversations where everyone is putting everything on her yeah Phoebe and Piper are not bringing their solutions to it they're just telling her what she has to do that I mean that's true that is true like I feel Prue in this that like that's pressure that's people putting a lot of pressure on her. She's feeling overwhelmed. She's trying to deal with her personal issues. And now she's being given all these tasks. She don't want to fucking do it. I get it. Fuck I get you it. guys. Yeah. And do you know what? Do you know what? Like in the opening when Abraxas steals the book. Sure. Prue didn't fight him. But I'm sorry. Did Piper try to freeze him? Did Phoebe try to kick him? They just stood there too. Okay. That's fair. That's a fair observation. And I will... I will allow it. I do understand where Prue is coming from in this, but the the bitching about being witches just doesn't stop after this point. And that's, no. that's why I made that point. And I'll point it out every time because it's just, it's so frustrating to me because of what witchcraft means to me and how special yeah. it is in my life. It doesn't really come from Prue again, though. Mm. I don't think. We'll see. This is her one moment. Like, the rest of the time, she enjoys being a supernaturally powered murderer. So it's just, like, this one thing right now. <laughs> um, what I want to say is that Prue is at the hospital because she nearly died, and then they have to deal with all these dodging questions from the doctor. Where the fuck is Leo? I don't know. Like, <laughs> man, is your white lighter sleeping on the job? Like... He's out fucking Daisy. That's what's seriously. <laughs> He's out, like, having brunch with Natalie... Yeah, I wonder how Daisy's doing. <laughs> I hope that she's doing great. I hope I hope Daisy is thriving. Yeah. Um. So Phoebe has worked really hard in this episode. She found the demon. She came up with a really good plan and was the only one acknowledging that they needed to tap into real witchcraft to get the job done. I mean, if anything, Phoebe's the one carrying this episode, just like she did the last one. <laughs> Imagine how much more she could have accomplished with Mavis Beacon teaches typing. Yeah. <laughs> Get your goddamn fingers on the home row, you stupid bitch. <laughs> oh, that tickled me. Uh. So Dan, neighbor Dan, sweet, hunky neighbor Dan, comes up with a bottle of wine just after they ran out of wine. And also, I love that when Prue abandons them and the demon has their book, Piper and Phoebe are like, well, let's get drunk. <laughs> because what else are you going to do? Um, do you feel like they wanted Dan to be like Phoebe's boyfriend at first, but he had just had more chemistry with Piper? Because that's what I think. Uh, I didn't think about that until you just said that. But yeah, kind of. I do definitely because... get that vibe. Yeah, this episode really sets it up like he's going to be Phoebe's boyfriend. Phoebe's all involved with Jenny. Phoebe keeps talking to Dan. But I think they just decided that um, it wasn't working out. And I don't really think that they have chemistry in this episode either. So 
I I don't either. I think that um, he makes more sense with Piper somehow, and maybe that's just because ha- that's how it happened. But I think the Piper Dan relationship is fucking good. Is my overall opinion of it. I am yeah. Team Dan all the way. Piper didn't have a lot last season. I think they needed something to they needed something more than just work for Piper and I think that's part of why they did the the Leo Dan dynamic. But Piper didn't get her loan because she didn't put out and she loves Leo, which is why she's going to fuck Dan, I guess. It all makes cool. sense. It tracks. It tracks for yeah. me. So Prue goes to see Daryl and Daryl is looking ravishing in purple. As usual. It's our, f- it's our favorite color for Daryl. We love Daryl in purple. Is. Hmm. Mm. You know what I would and like to is... see? I would I would <laughs> like to see Daryl and Dan in purple together. Um, do you know what I would like to see is this fan fiction that Madge promised us weeks ago where like Andy and Daryl fuck while like Leo and the Dark Lighter are fucking and like Dan is watching. Yeah. Get on where it, Madge. Come on. Is the fan fiction. Put Where is stop it? writing your second book and write our fan fiction, please. Seriously. Anyway, keep I'm going. always trying to get her to write smutty fan fiction and turn it into a bestseller, just like E.L. James. Okay. <laughs> I got really distracted by Daryl <laughs> and <laughs> Dan and gay sex. Um, so <laughs> this is apparently gay sex aside, the first time that Prue has seen Daryl <laughs> since the funeral. <laughs> Huge. Um. She gets some closure from the conversation, but it doesn't take her all the way quite the way we initially like think it does. But I do think this scene's very important because she's really finally beginning to express her feelings about what happened to Andy. And Daryl gives her a message from Andy because Andy, sweet guy that he is, left a message for Prue knowing he was going to die. Or at least we believe that now because that's what happens when we can't pay the actor to come back. <laughs> yeah it's a really sweet moment for sure and so daryl tells prue that it it's not her fault that he died which unfortunately prue just does not agree with that so it doesn't go over well yeah it it, it opens the door but she doesn't actually walk through the threshold of dealing with the issue you know no i love that you used I love that you use the word threshold, Phoenix, because it harpens back to that thing I was saying about the hero's journey. We have these figures in the hero's journey called the guardians of the threshold. And it's a character that the hero meets that kind of takes mm. them through a threshold, takes them through a revelation to get to the other side where they have to. So I feel like Daryl is playing that for Prue. And so is the widow at the auction house. They are the guardians of the threshold, working her through her emotional journey. Wow, that was really insightful, Siren. Thank you. And Stevie plays the same role for Phoebe. Yeah. Piper and Phoebe ask Prue to name something ready to fight Abraxas. And she says, an old chair. I've been I've been watching a lot of Family Feud YouTube shorts. So that's that's. And I'm act. sure that that joke will land on anyone else who's also doing that. <laughs> I... So I don't I just don't understand I don't understand her purpose and because she she walks up into the attic and Piper and Phoebe are like you ready to do this bitch uh and Prue's just like yeah let's go girls and just moves a chair like what yeah as if to say look at me I have powers and I'm gonna use them 
<laughs> Except I'm not. Or, <laughs> yeah, I do think their plan is pretty good, but it is very Prue-centric. But they're basically yeah. like, Prue, you do the fighting, and we'll do the, basically, strategy and information gathering thing that we do. Yeah, it's, they're trying really hard to stick to their season one dynamic, and it's not working. And that's, yes. like, con- that's the point of this episode, you know? Yes. It's like, and it really is a rite of passage. They, they've drawn a triquetra on the wall to act as a portal, and they get knocked on their asses. And then Prue has a total meltdown about Andy, which is the first time that we've really had a moment to sit with this feeling that he is really gone. Right? Because we didn't really have that moment in the finale of season one. We didn't. Yeah. You and I discussed in our last Charmed episode how, it, how brutal it was that Prue didn't have time to deal with what was going on. And the episode never gives us time for that. So I think it's really important that in this one, in our opener, that we do deal with Andy's death in a more real way. And I think this scene is so good. So we have this moment, but we never talk about it again after this episode. It's just done. It is true. Like, Andy's name maybe gets mentioned once or twice again throughout the life of the series after this. It's not... But he's he's basically gonzo after this point. So I, I do agree. I think, you know, we've said when talking about this previously that you didn't really feel like Andy's death was honored because he only really gets this one moment in this episode. And I do agree with that because obviously Prue would not just be over it by no. episode two. But given that they weren't going to spend any more time on him because he's an actor who's not on the show anymore, I feel like this is good. It is a good moment. It is a good moment. And I, and I, it's sort of like Jesse syndrome, referring to Jesse and Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the pilot episode. Uh, losing that character is never talked about again. It has kind of that vibe for me, but mm-hmm. it's a little like, because we had so much time with Andy in season one, and I get that he was a, a main character that was killed off really early in the show's history. We had a lot of time with him, and I feel like he deserves more than one episode to be grieved, personally. So here's what I guess I think about it. I think that you can see the effect of Andy's death on Prue's life from here on out. And as we talk about it, I'm going to call it out every time. But I wish that the show made more of an effort to show that the next few things that Prue goes through are also because of Andy. Agreed. And honestly, Shannon is so good in this scene. She is so good in this whole fucking episode. She's amazing. But you're right. She's she's good in this scene. I think I want to insert a little sound clip here of Prue's breakdown because it's just... Do it. It's good. It's just so good. It's so good. Because you have got to figure out what your problem is. Otherwise, we're all dead. Yeah, that's right, Phoebe. It's my responsibility, isn't it? The oldest sister, always supposed to be able to figure things out. Well, if that's the case, then how come I couldn't save Andy? If I'm supposed to be so powerful, how come I couldn't save him? Oh my God, don't you understand? Andy died because of me. Okay, it doesn't matter what he said, it was my fault. How can it be good to be witches if all it does is get the people we love killed? That line, how can it be good to be witches if all it does is get the people we love killed? 
um, is really impactful. But also at the end of last season, she was like, we do good things as witches. Um, so it's a pretty stark shift, but I guess she's had a lot of time to overanalyze and overthink and blame herself between then and now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I think Shannon is doing a really, really great job showing a multifaceted portrayal of grief in a really Hell short yeah, amount of time. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. I do think, I think that the moment where Prue is okay in the end of season one is kind of like an eye of the storm of her grieving. Because yeah. there's a point at which you have been sad over the loss of someone and feel that you've grieved their death. And then you, you reach a point of acceptance. But I think that that actually doesn't stay stagnant because eventually as time goes on, that's when you realize oh, time is going to keep passing and I'm still never going to see them again. And then I think the pain comes back and I think that's where Prue is in this episode. I have a problem sometimes watching this show because of how campy it can be of really... And this has changed for me in in doing this podcast because Charmed for me used to be one of those I'm going to put it on in the background and have fun shows. And it still, I mean, it still is that too. It still is that too. But watching it from a more analytical perspective, I'm getting so much more out of the characters and what they're actually going through than I think I ever have before. Um, Because I I feel totally different things about this scene than I ever have watching it up until now. You know? This episode, I watched this episode just for our podcast like a few weeks ago, and it was so good that it sort of set me on the path of binge watching. (laughs) Oops. And I'm on season seven now. Um, But I just really feel like this episode was like so spectacular that it really awakened my brain to all the ways I could analyze the show and talk about it for the pod. And I just got really excited. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. And we're going to unfortunately lose some of this integrity as the show goes on. But for now, I I love I love what's happening here. I'm sorry, what, what is losing integrity? Is the show losing integrity? Because I wasn't under the impression that you and I ever had any. Yes, the show. The show. Okay. Okay, great. Just, just to be clear. If I have been supposed to be acting with integrity up to this point, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so they all hear Grams now and they figure out the stupid riddle, right? Um, yes. The power of one actually means the power of three. Which is why it said one and not three. Yeah. Witch trial. (laughs) That's good. So it turns out that actually putting everything on Prue while Phoebe and Piper do fuck all nothing was not the solution. (laughs) Not a great idea. They figured it out. Oh my God. You know whose fault it is that Andy died? It's Piper and Phoebe. (laughs) It is. (laughs) It's Phoebe's fault. She had the premonition. God. Yeah, do something different, bitch. I do. So, you know, I talked about how, like, there's just, like, all this time with no demons coming after them. And I really, really wish that they could have fit in one more unvanquished demon from season one to reappear. And I really wish it would have been Cinda. Kill them. Yes. (laughs) And she's, like, she just, like, shows up and she, like, crushes a beer can and she invites them to a house party and she brings some cookies. (laughs) And then she kills their dad, you know? 
<laughs> It'd be so fun. Can so, you imagine, please, Phoenix, imagine, like, the lower rent version of the actress who played Cinda being a worse version of Cinda. Think about it. <laughs> Such a missed opportunity. It... Oh, God, if we thought that costume was Spirit Halloween before. Jesus. Um, anyway... So we, we transition to, for some reason, they're like, we need to go out into the woods to finish this spell. Uh, I so they don't go to understand. The, to... They say we have to go where we're the strongest. And so they go to this altar that Prue's never even been to before instead of their house, which has the nexus. Yeah. Aren't they the strongest inside their house? You would think, but you know, I do, I do love them going to this outdoor altar. I love this just like altar made of stone. Just like yeah, it's so cool sitting there, so fucking cool. If I ever have a yard, I'm going to put a stone altar in it. So we had when went back when I owned a house. Um, when we bought it, there was a dead tree in the backyard, and we um, had my dad cut it down. But we had him cut it down in a weird way so that it was basically like altar height if you were standing next to it. <laughs> Oh, and it was very cool. And I would like put my book of shadows on it sometimes. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so the point of this scene for me is that Piper's feet are so far apart. Did you like, were you watching? It was like Holly Marie Combs was doing the splits while they were chanting in the woods. I man, I missed that, too. They're so far apart. Watch it again and just look at how far apart her feet are because it's insane. <laughs> That's not actually the point. It's just what I fixated on. So instead of chanting the power of three will set us free, which is like their mantra, they use the spell that they use to get their powers. And maybe that's because that was the spell Abraxas was on. So like reading or saying it out loud would be like... It's sort of like they're they're combating him by doing the opposite of what he's doing, which is the opposite of what they're doing. Oh, so they what? so the spell. <laughs> <Huh? laughs> I'm sure that made sense. The spell, <laughs> the spell that gives them their powers is the first page of the book. So to. I guess fight back against him reading the book backwards from the back. They're going to start chanting the book in the right order from the front. Reverse polarity or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it makes sense, but like it also kind of doesn't make sense because they read that book all the time and can't remember shit out of it. So. Mm hmm. I yeah, it is a little weird to me that they remembered the words um, because, you know, only Phoebe said them. Like, yeah. Did Prue and Piper even look at it? I don't know. Well, I mean, Prue looked at it that one time and was like, this is a book of witchcraft. This is a um, book of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the, it so is the, the same spell. spell is, from... Yes. Mm -hmm. Hear now the words of the witches, the secrets we hid in the night. The oldest of gods are invoked here. The great work of magic is sought. In this night and in this hour, we call upon the ancient power. To do some other things, but we cut those lines out of this because it didn't make sense. 
Yeah, so this is the same spell from the pilot, and we did mention in that episode that this is from The Witch's Creed by Doreen Valiente, um, which is beautiful and lovely, and if you don't know it, you should go look it up because it's amazing. It is. Um, and you know what, though? I um, I don't like... So I love Doreen Valiente. I think she's an amazing poet. She's definitely a wordsmith, but I don't agree with all of her, I guess, like spiritual values all the time. But I do like mm-hmm. the lines here. I like the lines here a lot. Whereas I don't necessarily agree with everything in that Witch's Creed poem. It is the source of the Wiccan Reed, that poem. That's how it ends. Oh, okay. Eight words this Witch's Creed fulfill, and ye harm none, do what you will. That's the end of that poem. Yeah. Um, Actually, I want to redact my earlier statement. Don't look it up. Go listen to our first episode. (laughs) Wherever you get your podcasts. We talk about this in depth. We do. We did. We still didn't read the whole thing. It's pretty long, actually. It is really long. But there are several parts of it that I like a lot, and I like these parts. So, Abraxas is vanquished, and then they all just talk about chanting. how much they just by they chanting. Just hold hands and chant, and he just dies, and the book comes back. They so just easy. close the door. They close the door to the swimming pool dimension, and that bitch drowns. We defeated him using teamwork. <laughs> This episode is Power Rangers, I'm telling you. Um, So they talk about how much they love being witches and how much they love taking out a second mortgage on their house and how much they like saying hi to their dead grandma. Yeah. So full of love. What a happy ending. So full of love. Um, Prue has a big hole in her shirt in the part where they're chanting in the woods. (laughs) I feel like, look, it's like on her armpit. She's got a big old yes. hole. Um, and if you look at the ending scene, it's there too. It's like, it's almost like move. It's like her shoulder. It's like coming apart at the shoulder, basically, her shirt is. I mean, they had a really rough go of it. They got into a big scrape. They were in the woods, Siren. Uh, yeah, so Grams was there helping them all the time. And it's, it is really beautiful. I love how it ends with happy anniversary, my darlings. I mean... I don't think you could get much more, like, accurate, actually, with, like, a witchy anniversary story in a fantasy setting. Obviously, they've got supernatural powers and stuff, but just, I love all the anniversary holiday stuff that they brought in for the first episode of their second season. It feels right. And this is a great premiere. It really is. This is a great start to a a great season. Truly. If I were going to... Oh, God, I didn't write a rating. If I were going to rate this episode, I would give it plus one really hot neighbor, minus one really annoying girl. And if I were going to rate this episode, I would just have to say, you know, satisfying overall, but really lacking in Cinda. (laughs) Where (laughs) is Cinda? I think... That my kill of the day is going to be Prue's openness about her emotional issues. Because that goes away really fast. I think my kill of the day is going to be Mrs. Milton's husband. (laughs) Because you're better off, honey. (laughs) Like, let's be serious. He was not like, I mean, okay. First of all, look at her hairstylist. Like, clearly she's not seeing the best. And her husband's a hoarder? (laughs) 
Alright, Siren, where can the people find you? <laughs> um, you can find me in hell where I'm going when I die. Um, but before that, <laughs> at Siren Spectacular on Twitter and Instagram and Siren Spectacular non-binary meme witch on Facebook. Go ahead and give those a follow so you can be really bored when I don't post anything. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood, though that has been neglected very much recently. You can follow the podcast at WBRcast on all social media platforms. If you have a question, something you'd like to hear us talk about, or comments on anything that we talked about today or in our previous episodes, please, please, please send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. I do have a new show coming out. You can follow on social media platforms uh, at Who Died Pod. Um, the episodes are not published anywhere yet because running two shows is really hard. So, <laughs> cool. All right, all you non-magical witches. <laughs> you piece of shit witches. <laughs> you non-magical shit witches. Until next time, keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?